So I have this question for you. Have, have you ever missed it? Have you ever gotten distracted but, and there was some key point of instruction and then all of the assignment didn't make sense? Or have you ever tuned out? You know, maybe you're playing video games over at your grandpa's place and you've got the headphones on and you're just in it and you miss the call for lunch or supper. Um, maybe your spouse has some important information and you just happen to not be paying attention and you miss it. This is normal living. This is normal life. Um, here's my question for you. What role does attention play in your transformation? Let me say that again. What role does attention play in our transformation? And we could add on to that question, what role does proximity play? Have you ever noticed that the longer you hang out with someone, the more you kind of get to be sort of like them, some similarities? Maybe you've met the couple um, who's been together so long that they've started to look like each other somehow. They talk like each other. <laughs> they, they ha it started with the his and her towels, and then it quickly progressed to movements, hair, glasses, the track suit as they are walking the path together. And all of this, they start to get into sync with each other. Or perhaps you've seen the owners and their dogs. Um, maybe you've seen some photos like this. Owners who look like their dogs. Um, now, of course, these photos are a bit staged, but I appreciate them. And then there's that, that one makes me laugh. <laughs> oh, that dog is so grumpy looking. All right. Um, oh, that's funny. Um, you know, maybe it's just their narcissism that they like are attracted to animals that look like themselves. Or maybe it's just over time they start to take on the personality and the, the uh, interests of the dog or their, of the, or their animal of any sort. Um, maybe you've heard this before. Now, youth and young adults, I was told this when I was younger and it actually stuck with me, um, but I think it's valuable for all of us to hear this. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It's pretty good, eh? Um, who you keep company with, I'll show you your future. What we give our attention to, who or what is in our inner circle, is shaping you more than you know. What you spend your time and your attention on, whether you realize it or not, it is transforming you. So let me ask you this question. What are those things, those people that you are spending time with and how is that leading towards the abundant life? Is it leading to the abundant life? The passage today presents bad news. It also presents really, really good news. But before we get into the passage itself, I need to get into a bit of the context and share a little bit with you kind of where we've been so far. So we are in a sermon series entitled The, King, the Power of the Kingdom. It's a sermon series that's walking through the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark, and today we're exploring Mark 4, 1 to 20, the sower in the seeds. It's classic and it is often cited, it's often taught. 
But we can't just jump into that text. So whether you're joining us for the first time or you've been with us for a while, I want us to just do a quick little recap. So Israel, they've been waiting. They are frustrated. They are disappointed in their puppet government and they are occupied by foreign people and they are tired. And then a man by the name of John comes and arrives on the scene and is proclaiming this, that someone is coming, that the true, the son of God, the son of man, this great uh, person is just about to come. And people are getting interested, people are getting excited. Jesus enters the scene. Jesus is God's dearly loved son, And he enters the story of humanity like never before. Yes, he was there at the beginning of creation, but now he's kicking up dust on the Judean road. And he comes with this statement, the time has come. Repent and believe the good news. And then like a racehorse, he is off doing all of this dramatic stuff. It starts with this gathering. He starts with a calling. He begins having power and authority over all sorts of things. He's healing people. He's performing miracles. Peter's mother-in-law is is healed. And there's demons that are being driven out. Um, This man with leprosy is dramatically healed and brought back into community. And then he takes his healing and his power a step further, and things start to get a little bit intense in the community. He heals a paralyzed man. Now, we know the story. He heals this man, but then, as the leaders are watching, he also declares that his sins are forgiven. Now, we've heard that so many times that we're like, yeah, of course, but to them, they are thinking, what? Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I just heard this come out of this man's mouth. And things are getting difficult for Jesus. There is more tension surrounding him. He starts having meals with sinners and tax collectors. And people are noticing. And it hasn't taken long with all of these displays of power, healing, and embrace of the outsider to cause crowds to gather and conflict to brew. And then we got to Mark 3, which was last week. Mark 3, where Jesus has got all of these resistors around him. Pharisees are tag-teaming with Herodians, the ruling elite. Evil spirits are blabbing on and kind of bringing the cat out of the bag too soon for the message. Jerusalem's religion police are claiming Jesus as satanic. Judas has been introduced as the betrayer. And Jesus' own family, Mary, meek and mild Mary, and her family, the brothers are looking outside and thinking like, hey, like, like what's going on over there? Actually, let's take a moment to take a look into this story briefly because it leads right into where we're going today and it's, it's valuable. And it helps answer that question of proximity and attention. So in Mark 3, 31 to 35. I'm just doing a quick read of this. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brother? Who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus asked. Um, Then he looked at those in the circle around him and said, here is my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister 
and mother. Whew. And did you, did you catch that? Did you catch there's this little bit? It's, it's easy to miss that the reader might assume that people like religious leaders and mom, you know, they have direct line uh, interaction with Jesus. But in this gospel, there's tension created on purpose. Did you catch it? They are literally outside. Jesus, Jesus' mother and brothers arrive standing outside. They could have walked in. They could have gone right in and said, hey, Jesus, what are, what are you doing? You're creating like a stir here. But no, they stay outside. They've backed all the way, and they're saying, uh, someone else go in and talk to Jesus. Mark, in his gospel, he's not just describing the situation. This is part of the narrative of contrasting who's inside and who's outside and what this all looks like and means. There's this dynamic at work in this. And so um, Mark doesn't just say this to describe the situation. It's intentional. The kingdom of God is being redefined as who's in and who's out. Now we look at how Jesus responds, right? He looks at those who are gathered in close, the people gathered in close, and he calls them family. So if you look closely at the story, and then last week, if you go and re-listen to uh, Pastor Brian's sermon, we begin to see that there's a whole dynamic in the Gospel of Mark about inside and outside. And this is important. Now, we know that the family, Jesus' actual family, did and does in fact become followers of Jesus. And that's important because we don't want to miss this. It shows that the boundaries of inside and outside are actually porous. So while Mark is defining things as in and out, there's actually interplay of people who started on the inside and end up on the outside. And people who have been resisting Jesus for the, like, the entire story are actually, at the very end, inside. That is really, really valuable for us to know. Wherever you're at right now in your life, whether you feel on, like you're on the inside or you're on the outside in relationship to God, that is porous. It can always move and shift. God is available today. That subtlety helps us rethink the kingdom of God and what it is actually about. That the boundary here isn't on pedigree. It's not about influence. It's not about religion. It's about something else. And even in the Gospel of Mark, we aren't quite sure what this something fully is yet. It's being slowly emerged and shown in the story. That's why it's so important for us to be paying attention to it. Now, Let's get into Mark 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. Now, quick little aside, he taught many things. So he's done a lot of teaching, but in this moment, Mark is highlighting what he believes to be the core parable, the central message to be heard. So, and in his teachings, and said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. 
Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. So they did not bear uh, grain. Still, others fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. We'll stop there. Let's start at the end, because when you're reading this and you get to the end, that's weird. I'm just, let's say, like, take a moment and be honest with the text. What Jesus finishes saying right there doesn't really feel like it fits the narrative of who Jesus is. For him to say, I speak in parables so that some won't understand and that others will. Wait, what? Didn't you just tell us a parable about like, a, like sowing seed everywhere, like letting the gospel be known to everyone? And now you're saying, I speak in parables so some people might not get it. Well, we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time honoring that text and actually exploring it. So just so you know, we're going to get to that. I don't know if you've ever just zoomed by that in the story, but it's a little weird to me. Now, so in Israel's history, God has always called his holy people to be set apart, right? He's always called them to be different, primarily different by following Torah, right? There was these laws, these actions, these behaviors that were saying, if you do these things, this is good, and you are separate, you're on the inside, versus all of those over there who are on the outside who are not following the Torah, not following God's way. And then Jesus arrives, and he starts to redefine things differently. Jesus calls people to follow him and share his mission. Now, after Jesus has taught this parable, there was this small group. They were close to him. They followed him even after the crowds had dispersed. It was they who asked for clarity. It was they who, being in Jesus' company, in close proximity, were given that extra insight. They stay around him. They linger. They stay around him. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. This part of the passage, if read on its own without the whole story of Israel in mind, it feels bleak and extreme for the outsider. But consider um, what N.T. Wright, a scholar who I have a lot of respect for, has to say. If they were really to see or understand, there might be a riot. He goes on, if too many understand too well, 
the prophet's liberty of movement and perhaps life may be cut short. Jesus knew his kingdom announcement was subversive. That it would be dramatically unwelcome for different reasons to the Romans, to Herod, and also to the zealous Jews and their leaders, whether official or not. He must therefore speak in parables so that they may look and look but not quite see it. It's this safer course at this time in Jesus' journey that these stories could get past the censor for the moment. There would come a time for more open revelation. Um, the parable, for example, of the wicked tenant, tenants does not need explanation. And that story, that parable, quickly led to Jesus' arrest and murder. There's this unveiling story that if, it, if it's revealed too soon, it would cut short the prophet's message. Um, and that's kind of speaking as it, it, the concept of prophet, that it would cut short Jesus' message. If looked at within the whole story of Israel, with that in mind, as well as its connections to that Isaiah passage, we're able to get a picture that the inability to hear, the hardness of heart, is the inevitable and tragic consequence of rejecting the announcement of the kingdom. And yet we have this good news that there is this porous nature of inside and outside. Now, that's proximity. There's these people hanging close to Jesus, right? Asking him those extra questions, getting that extra insight. Now let's move to attention. So there's a crowd, right? At the very beginning, we see that there's this large crowd, and they've come for all sorts of reasons. We don't know quite why. Some might have questions. Some might be desperate for hope. Some are looking just for a show. Others don't even know why they're there. Mom and dad drag them. Maybe they're there to wait and look for a moment for Jesus to mess up so that they can get him. Whatever the reason is. And as the crowd gathers, Jesus says, Listen, listen, before any other content is even given, Jesus is giving us this command. I'm not sure if in your Bibles it has an exclamation point, but in mine it does. So it might be listen, but it could also be listen, you have to hear this. Heed and hear and take this in. Please pay attention. Put your phones down. Turn off the distracted minds. Take all of this in. I can see Jesus saying, I am about to reveal to you a secret about the kingdom. Give me your attention. And then, again at the very end of the parable, he says it again, whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, the following parables, which you're going to hear about next week, it says that again and again, this listen, listen, listen. It would seem Jesus really, truly believes that us giving him his, our attention, that us leaning into his teachings and his presence with full and undivided attention is critical to our transformation and abundant living. But we already kind of know this, don't we? We know the power of attention, 
We know that when we set our sights on something, how it affects us. We know what we watch, how it affects the way we think about people and ourselves. We know how we feel after we've been scrolling for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever the amount of time on social media. And next thing you know, you know your mind is being rewritten by what you are paying attention to. We know that paying attention in class helps us learn. We know that when we pay attention, it shapes us. So of course, Jesus Jesus is pleading with those to truly listen, to take it all in. Because he really has good news for us, but he wants to make sure we grasp it. Because if we grasp it, it will change our lives. His words will transform you. Take what he says, apply it, use it, work with it. So, with all ears listening and leaning in, Jesus describes the kingdom of God. Let's take a look at how he talks about the kingdom of God, how he talks about this parable. So in Jesus' description, we have four kinds of soil, four situations, four states, three bad news, one good news. But the common factor in all of this uh, is that God himself has, without hesitation, without reservation, generously pouring out and giving the gospel to all circumstances and all situations, right? You might hear this story and think to yourself, why in the world would some like, get scattered on the path? Like, wouldn't you be like strategic and plant very particularly in the garden, like where it's already been cultivated? And this is a different kind of good news, a good news for all people in all circumstances. Jesus is proclaiming a good news where he is just like, hear, hear it, hear it, hear it. Please, anybody, everyone in all circumstances, take this in. And this is extravagant and exciting. This is part of the good news. How God is generously pouring out his goodness and his love. Now, there's four ways that we can think about this soil. Now, do any of these maybe sound familiar to you and in your own life? Jesus is not the answer. Jesus is not worth the struggle. Jesus is not enough. Or Jesus is the answer. He is worth it, and he is enough. As Jesus describes the different soils, which resonates with you and why? What what does it get you thinking about in your own life? What does it get you wondering about? So that first one, some don't really hear it at all, right? Verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes, grabs it, takes the word away as if it was never sown up at all. For this, for this, this is Jesus is not the answer. Sadly, despite God's generosity and providing grace and hope, that first soil represents those who express no true interest in God's reign at all. They might say something like this, Jesus is not the answer. You know what? I'm not in need. I'm not searching. I'm not looking, and I certainly don't need some kingdom. 
But I like how Jesus pulls back the curtain a little bit for us and shows us that Satan is at work in this type of person. That Satan immediately comes and steals that away. I like this perspective because while whoever's in that situation would never say, oh, Satan stole this away from me, they would have all sorts of other reasons for not being interested and dismissing the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But for us, the reader of Mark, we get to see that behind that surf, those surface-level reasons, there's an unseen influence of darkness at work. It allows us to have empathy and compassion and pray for those people who live in darkness. Now, the second one is, is that some, some people hear it, and they hear the joyous parts only, right? Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, right? But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Jesus, for these people, is not worth the struggle. They hear it, they like the good stuff, they like the blessing, they like all of this like positive, mental, valuable elements that come with the kingdom of God and with the person of Jesus. But when trial, tribulation, difficulty, complication, tension with the good news and what it looks like to live in our day comes, it's too much and they fall away. The roots haven't gone deep. There isn't a depth in understanding about God's work in this world and in their lives. They might say things like, I like the positive elements of the kingdom. I like the love. I love the acceptance. I like the forgiveness. But I don't, I don't like the judgment. I don't like that there is some exclusivity to the gospel or that there's an ethic that comes with the kingdom of God. I'm down with Jesus as long as he brings just blessing. But once I'm rejected for his beliefs or it's complicated or it's hard, I'm done. And we know those people. We might be those people. And then the third one. Some hear too many other messages alongside this message. So still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. For those that hear this, Jesus just is not enough. This soil represents those who allow the beauty of Jesus uh, and his good word to become clouded by other competing messages. You know, this for me, this, this kind of illustration of seed resonates too closely in my heart. It makes me a bit uncomfortable when I see this passage because I know that there are cares and worries in my life that get loud and get in my face and make it really hard for me to live the abundant life that God has called me to live. The cares of this world, the cares which only truly belong to this world, invade their hearts. Those cares and worries suggest that we can't just put our faith in Jesus, but we also have to put our faith in our own hands and in our own work or in other circumstances. And in the midst of worries and fears and the cares of this world were offered 
wealth as the antidote. If we could just get more of that, it's those competing desires which water down a passion for Christ and infest the soul. And here's the challenge. While some of those cares are not important and they reveal pure and simple selfishness, right? Some of these cares are intense. They're right in your face. They are loud and they demand your attention. They demand it. Whereas Jesus might cry out, listen, please listen to me. He's not going to demand your attention the way the world demands it. The people that this soil represents are often good soil, just with weeds growing up and around and choking things out. They may, ne- they may never say it. They may, ne- they may never actually believe it, but their actions say something like, Jesus is great within reason. He is part of my life, but only part. He is not my reason for being. There are other things which bring me happiness that are as important as Jesus. He should not define all my priorities. Other voices should also have a chance to speak. There are certain things I need to make me happy, and Jesus cannot provide them all. So that's the third kind of soil, the third challenge for us. And then we get to the fourth soil. Are you ready for the really good news? (laughs) Here's the good news. Other seeds like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. But not just a crop. A crop 30, 60, and some 100 times what was sown. Jesus is the answer, worth it, and is enough. The other soils provide warnings to us. But accepting the message of Jesus and his kingdom produces fruit. It produces abundant life. And Jesus said that these people end up bearing radical fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. Now a simple reading of the book of Acts reveals to us that just a few people who knew Jesus, who accepted him, created this entire revolution that changed the world. There is abundance available to all who take the name of Jesus, to all who accept this gospel and this good news. And I know life is complicated. I know that weeds choke things out. But at the end of it all, those who lean in and pay attention and spend time with Jesus, the promise is abundance. There is hope in the kingdom for those who hear his voice and, and follow. There is abundant fruit awaiting all who say yes to Jesus. This is good news. Abundant fruit is the destiny of every follower of Jesus. And so we have this at the very end of these three different soil conditions. A promise that when we follow after Jesus, when we make him our Lord and Savior, abundance is part of the program. And that is good, good news. So where do we go from here? What now? Well, 
Um, there are things in the parable that we can learn from and apply to our lives, and then there are the things in the whole story itself. And let me just recap this briefly before the worship team comes up. So in the parable, we are given a tool, and we are given hope, right? So we have these soil conditions that when we reflect on them, when we allow them to speak into our lives, they can expose things, they can reveal things, they can allow us to get a little bit uncomfortable with maybe where we're at in our lives. But at the end of all of that, there is this promise of good news. So yes, use this parable as a tool for honest evaluation in your life, but also treasure this truth that life in the kingdom is abundant. Treasure that. Hold on to that. You might not see the fruit right now, but there is fruit for all who call in the name of Jesus. So take those two things and allow that parable to speak and work in your life. And then, surrounding the parable, kind of where we started at the very beginning, it's a message of attention and proximity. Jesus pleads with us to listen to him, to really hear his word. The world might demand it, but we can give it. The world might demand our attention, but we can choose to give our attention to Jesus. And then get close to Jesus, and by extension, his community. Get close to Jesus, and by extension, his community. So let me finish with this. It is my encouragement, it is from Scripture, for us to choose to bring around yourself people who think and talk about Jesus. Bring into your sphere, into that kind of close-knit community, people who want to talk about Jesus, who are focused on him. Do that and you will begin to see fruit. You will see thorns get removed. You'll see roots get deeper. You'll experience a new abundance that has been promised to all who abide in the kingdom of God. And I urge us all to make the choice today to spend more time talking, thinking, and bringing Jesus into our conversations. It's so easy to talk about so many things right now, but just have that moment, have that courage with a spouse or a friend to say, you know what, time out. Can, can we talk about, can we talk about the kingdom? Can we talk about Jesus and what he's done and who he is and what he's still doing in our world, in our lives? I promise you this, if you do this, you will begin to see transformation in your life, the transformation you've been wishing for. You show me your friends, right? And I'll show you your future. Choose to talk about Jesus, bring him close, hang out with him, and abundance is your destiny. Now, if you're interested, start a small group. Join a small group. Make this practical. Don't just have it as an idea. Actually partner up with people and say, could we, could we stop talking about COVID for five minutes and talk about the goodness of Jesus? Is that possible? Could we, could we just hit time out on complications and the challenges? And not to say we ignore all of that. Absolutely not. But can we elevate the goodness of Jesus let that shine through in this era, in this time. And I know that there's some of us here who've never really 
chosen Jesus. You've heard those three soils and you're like, man, I'm kind of the first. Maybe the second, maybe the third, but I'm not that last one. I want to remind you that the inside and outside is porous. It is never too late for you to make the decision to follow Jesus, to get close. You don't even have to make that decision today. I would encourage you to just give him your attention, right? Just put your attention on him. Start thinking and reading scripture. Focus on him and allow that to do something in your life. Just take a chance on that. Maybe there are, however, some of you who've been hearing this for a while and you know today in listening to this message, God has also been speaking a message to you saying, listen, now is the moment. Come to me, join me, let go of those worries and cares, give me your life, follow Jesus. And if you've never accepted Jesus, you can choose that today. The line between outsider and insider is porous. There is space for you in the kingdom. It's not too late. You are not too far gone to repent and believe. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to find Pastor Brian, Pastor Stephen, myself, um, other leaders here, and find the moment to have a conversation after church we're available and more than happy to have a talk with you about the next steps you can take in your life and your journey with Jesus. I'm going to pray and then I ask that this last song be a song that is an anthem for our day, you know, that allows it to be what we focus on. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your kindness. We thank you that you are at work in our lives we thank you that you are, we're thankful that your kingdom is wide and big and is inviting for all people. Lord, may we choose you today and may those pictures of the different soil conditions convict us and call us to make decisions today to give our attention to you, to be in proximity to you and people who talk about you, knowing that that will bring transformation. Lord, we love you and we adore you. In Jesus' name, amen.